0: for our 150th episode everyone everyone me a studio audience come on give it up 150 on, episodes get it come get it going get, give me some w's in the chat give me some w's in the chat can we get a go start in the chat mm-hmm. i thought it would be a, a really neat thing i asked the internet to provide us with like a, a good little welcome to the show message for a 150 episode all of our fans they sent in little voice clips and I've spliced them all together, and uh, let's just start the episode with this. Roll the clip. Man, just everyone out there just showing their support. And man, everyone knows. But the 150th episode, this one spe- specifically, starts a new season here at Zero Credits. And what would a new season be without a new, brand new, never before heard, never before heard by fans, theme song? A new Zero Credits intro song? Theme Wait, song? What? Yes. Who? How? I have commissioned one of my best friends. His name is John. Oh, man. And he's on this podcast with me called Zero Credits. Uh-huh. And I commissioned him in that I asked him to do me a favor for no money. Uh-huh. And come up with a new song for the podcast that he's already on. That sounds unbelievable. And uh, you are him. Oh. Yes. Really? You are the John that I'm talking about. And that, I mean that in both ways. Well, I guess let's hear it. And- yeah, so <laughs> let's, with no further ado... Let's just play the new theme song for zero credits. What You Just Heard is our new theme song that you're going to be hearing every episode going forward for the rest of this season. And I, myself, am very excited about it. Yeah, it's news to me, but you know what? I'm here for it. I'm glad that you like it, since you indeed composed it on the computer using math. Uh, I believe it was like a like a math like, like, a, math? Math like a math program, math like a calculator that makes noise. Yeah, so I I open up my computer every day, and you know <laughs> you know me, you know how I be. I type run. <laughs> you type run on your computer, and then my computer started like showing a bunch of green numbers, and then you know I just made the magic happen. That's pretty unique. Computers be running. Computers be running. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. And one of the only podcasts that it's impossible to get in trouble for and then lose your job. I just want to put that out there. Anyone could come on this show and talk about anything. Really, I mean, if we announced that we were bringing on a new person to this podcast... There would be no amount of vetting done whatsoever. No one would look into anything these people had ever done. God knows we wouldn't. Look, nor would our fans. I think all podcasts want to strive to come up in headlines five years down the road, or just one in this case, for being involved in a weird scandal where someone lost their job. The notoriety? I don't know if we want it. But it would be there. Yeah, let's say that we maybe hired someone onto our podcast who less than a year ago said a racial slur on a podcast. They'd probably stay on the podcast, right? No, No, I don't not. like this joke. Yeah, no. My name's Henry. <laughs> and my name's John. And together are Henry and John coming at you to tackle the, the happenings of the cultural zeitgeist. This was a weird broken up intro, and I thought... We're going to be a little more relaxed and formal for what should be a very formal event. 150 episodes! 150 episodes. We are the second thing that you'll ever listen to or watch that limits a season to 50 episodes. The other, of course, being professional wrestling, I guess. (laughs) Uh, 150 is a a very interesting milestone for us, John. It's a prime number. It puts us... No, it isn't. (laughs) It puts us firmly... Right between Becker and Seinfeld. Ooh, yeah. Wait, what? How many did Becker make it to? Becker made it to 129 episodes. 129. Okay, so we're beating Becker. we we have beaten Becker. As as we established when we came up with the initial name of this podcast, beating Becker. <laughs> yes. The fir- our one goal was to beat Becker, which. Is uh, if you're not familiar, let's say you're a Gen Z or uh, or uh, or yeah. younger or millennial or anything. <laughs> let's <laughs> say that you're anywhere between Gen X and Gen Z. And Becker was basically what I'll call like a Fraser for doctors. Yeah, was he a doctor? He, I think he was a family practitioner. Okay, so he had his own private practice, and he did not like seeing patients, which is weird for a doctor. Cause that's how they make money. Yeah, he really did not like his job. Uh, but I, I like to think of Becker as a prototypical Dr. House, and most importantly, we've defeated him in every sense of the word. So, Ted Danson, I'm sorry. You have to give us your crown. <laughs> yes, Ted Danson, look, you've been, you've been resting on your laurels in that you had a crown for so long that just said Becker on it anticipating that no medium would ever surpass 129 episodes but guess what even though many many (laughs) many sitcoms already have surpassed that yeah before have and will yeah Uh, but still we get the crowd and now we're coming after seinfeld that clocks in at a good depending on how you break it up 172 to 180 episodes. We, when we started this podcast all those years ago, the last thing we thought would happen is we would beat, I want to say it, the GOAT. The GOAT. The GOAT. LeBron James. The, we would beat LeBron James's show, Seinfeld, <laughs> which stars Jerry Seinfeld, uh, who plays LeBron James. Uh, we never thought it would happen, but now we are in spitting distance of spitting on... Seinfeld. So LeBron James, we're calling you out. And maybe Jerry Seinfeld who played to you on a television <laughs> show. Which I'm gonna to I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm just gonna come out and say it. Weird decision. Really weird decision. Weird decision to hire a Jewish comedian to play an African American basketball player. It, it, hey, look. There were different times. I feel like that's the most progressive show on television. <laughs> yeah, they there were different times. Look, things were progressive in their time, but now now we have to admit that Seinfeld was the 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 ludicrous race play that it was, and we just have to we have to be okay with it. We have to move on. Uh, A lot of the stuff in that show is actually a lot grosser if that was actually what was happening. But, you know, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine that what we say is accurate and true about Seinfeld, and we will destroy them. We will destroy Seinfeld, and and then we're moving on. Seinfeld is but a stepping stone in our quest. They will know us by our Trail of Dead. They will know us by our Trail of Dead sitcoms. Up next, How I Met Your Mother, followed by Friends followed by M.A.S.H., that all hang around the 250 to 270 area. I'm making motions like a weatherman. Uh-huh, yeah. Then they're in this big cloud, which means if they're in the 250 to 270 area, we're going to start racking up the bodies real quick. Oh, it's gonna, It's. It's. We're on a long, bloody campaign, much like... Most people's first D&D campaigns. And this is a lot like Ender's Game, when, like, he made the one explosion, that chained into a lot of explosions, and suddenly he was a war criminal. We can take out Seinfeld, that's like the home world, and then all the little other buggies, buggers, I think they were called in yeah. the novel, uh, will uh, just sort of fall by the wayside, and we'll just be left holding this weird egg... That a psychic vision game... That that book was weird. It's gonna be strange when we destroy all of these sitcoms, and yet still the most uh, genuine moment of conflict in the entire book was being beaten up naked in a shower. It's oddly not in the movie. <laughs> weird that that wouldn't be in the movie. You know uh, Orson Scott Card? got issues. He's a bad person, but and he he's, made of one good book. And he's next. <laughs> Once we can... Do more episodes than he did. Uh, we have to write more books than he oh, did. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to take a while. It's a longer road. I think we've got maybe one between us and that it's your book <laughs> and my book that I've been working on for the past decade. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, with 150 episodes under our belt, you think we would have learned. You know, it's a weird thing. We've been doing this podcast and I don't want to understate it. For 150 episodes. Really? Yes. That's a nice bit of trivia for the audience. <laughs> that is astonishing. And uh, I want to say, in that time, we have learned and unlearned more than people will ever have learned. Uh Yes, we have uh, filtered more through our minds than a lot of people will ever uh in their entire lifetime. I kind of want to do like a retrospective trail through memory lane and kind of sum up what we learned in each season. This this is the start of our fourth season. We have three in the can. And I think for us to grow and move forward as a show, we have to see what we've forgotten. <laughs> yes. Now, th- I think of this a lot like a clip show. Clip shows have really fallen out of vogue. Uh, understandably so. But it's not a clip show because we did not have the time, the energy, or the desire to actually collect clips of things we've said or done. Yeah, most shows might have done that, but I feel like they also have Patreons. Yeah, they have Patreons, you have time, you have a desire to hear your own voice. And like an intern that can, like, search somehow the transcripts of past episodes. Not gonna happen. Yeah, all of that costs money. Which I've learned quite recently, and I think you've learned this recently too, we don't have. Yeah, I, every time I go, listen, every time I go to a fancy dinner at a P. Terry's or a here nor there or a salt and time, I try to swipe my zero credits diners club card and they say, sir, this is a Austin public library card, uh, please leave. Every time I walk past a Tesla, they lock the doors. Not of the cars, but of the store. Yeah. But even if... It doesn't even matter if it's a Tesla. People will lock the doors to their houses if they see me coming. (laughs) It's really a shame. Yeah, we want to buy their houses. But they know we can't afford it because we wear little signs that say, (laughs) We have a podcast. Yeah, And I think maybe we should take those signs off. But I think that's a discussion for... The retrospective season four, which we're not at yet. Yes. Now, first of all, we're going to start things off with the first season. Our, our nascent days. Our, <laughs> our baby days. Our, our I was going to say our nuptials, but that's like a wedding thing. No. Our neonatal days. Our, our natal, our... What's uh, the word for, like, birth? Uh... Ne-de-be. Birth. Is it, is it just birth? <laughs> it's birth. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's just, let's, you know... Season one, episode one. I'm just gonna read I already know the title, I don't know why I'm looking it up. Look at the pineapple. Look at the pineapple. Our first ever episode. And we've never I I'd like we've to We've never actually looked at a pineapple. We've never looked at a pineapple. I would like to say that we've never forgot the lessons that we learned in the first season. However, I don't know what lessons we learned in the first season, so I'd like to think that we have not remembered them. So we used to do a thing, John. We used to do this commercial break thing. Oh, yes, because we thought it would be funny because when we actually got advertisers. Yeah, this was a whole... I remember this. I pitched this to you. We're going to do fake commercials to get used to reading copy for when we would get advertisers. Yikes. We could point to like, hey, listen to our episodes. We're used to reading copy and making it funny to make people listen. Oh, boy. Uh, One, we never got any advertisers. Uh Uh-huh. Two, my phone buzzes. That I will never fucking learn. Twice in one minute. Oh, oh, oh! Mm. And three, they weren't funny. Yeah, they uh, they were not great. We kind of came up with them on the spot, and we're never we've never been particularly good at improv. Uh, so wow, that's harsh. I'm kidding. Okay, it's all we're good at. It's all we're passable at. <laughs> uh, but no, I. I think back to the fake ad times, and I say, look at those naive bastards. Yeah. Remember what started this whole podcast? Uh, walking around a walking track after working out in college. So we would go and lift heavy heavy weights and work out our entire body based on the daily, like, the weekly schedule. Yes, it's also called having a workout routine. We had a workout routine, and high on the the endorphins and all the good chemicals you get while working out, we would walk around a track and have these little great conversations about current events and stupid things that were happening. And that really got us to to the point where, like, let's do a podcast. Uh Uh-huh. And then when we would sat down to do the podcast, we had none of those good, good endorphins pumping through our bodies. We sat on a couch. Yep. We drank. And we drank. Those first episodes. Hard to listen to. I mean, everyone has to start somewhere and thankfully we have not improved. We have not improved at all. But the first season was really just us trying to find our footing, uh, working with a blue Yeti snowball mic or whatever. We've upgraded now. Yeah, and just sort of posting onto our Google Drive. Yes. (laughs) Because it was free and clean and good. Google Drive, the place where people will find your content guaranteed. And, of course, our theme song was Sportsman by Kimono. Yes, Kimono's Sportsman, a uh, song that was stolen, though maybe not in one of those massive DRM search databases where they immediately, like, flag it and send you a mean letter. Uh, there will be a reckoning, though, uh, eventually, when whatever DRM thing finds us sends us a letter, and then the first minute of our first 50 episodes has to be cut off. That would be interesting, and I don't want to do that work. Yeah, but we would have to, lest we be sued. So we learned our lesson in season one, and in season two, we used another song by the same band. Yes. I believe it's Miss? Miss by Sportsman. Miss by, by, by Kimonos. Kimonos! <laughs> yes. Their name is in all caps everywhere it I is, look. It is Kimonos. Uh, which also, I I think the first one, maybe even the second one, are... I'll, come up with it later. There's like a a new wave, a Japanese new wave jazz musician. It was his song first and they covered it. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Arume Matsuo, maybe. And in season two, we, we wanted to revamp the entire show. We wanted to take it seriously. We wanted to prepare. And the thing that we landed on, which I remember wholeheartedly... Was segments? Yes, we, we used <laughs> to do segments every episode because we were listening to podcasts that had a lot of segments, and we're like, "This is the this is the ticket. This is the the, the little the little jewel from I don't know where you would find a jewel from the jewelry store." <laughs> yes, and we uh, we <laughs> thought it would also be a good idea to like tie these segments together thematically there were a few episodes where we were really on it oh man there were episodes that strung together like some type of weird lightning in a bottle where we did thematically link everything together i forgot we did that shit yes and then another there's we used the season 2 was also home of uh the break yes the break the, i still look back fondly on the break but i understand the breaks Key problem is having to find musicians who are willing to let us play their music every week. Yeah, the break, for those of you who haven't listened, uh, I'm just going to pour myself a little bit of rum. Yes, because we are uh, drinking liquor on this, this episode this because ep- it's a special occasion. Special occasion. This episode is brought to you by Kraken uh, Black Spice Rum and uh, some Coke Zero sugar because uh, that's my favorite drink. Here's the cap. <laughs> oh, I see. So you don't want it to evaporate? Mm-mm. But the break. The break was a midpoint in the show where we would play a song by a local band or otherwise, just people who gave us permission to use their work, mm-hmm. and then we would come back and we wouldn't talk about the song. <laughs> uh, we talked about it a little bit, I think. Sometimes... Well, we hadn't listened to it yet, is the thing. Oh, you're right. Because we didn't put the song in oh, into we were, post. We were burning the candle at both ends on that one. And so, like, it was a good idea. However, maybe it would have been a better idea if we would, like, talk about the songs <laughs> that we put in there. Yeah, talk... Really do anything. Uh, we could just do the Street Fight Radio thing and then just play, like, someone's SoundCloud for an hour. Uh, is Street Fight Radio where they talk over somebody's music? Uh, Street Fight Radio is like an anarcho radio show. It's fine. We don't need to plug another podcast slash radio show on our podcast. Yeah, that's one of the rules. There was a, you know what they call it when you have a one, a two, a three painting? Oh, a triptych. They call it a triptych. You know what they call it when you have a four? A quadric? You absolutely right. A quadric. The fourth piece of art in the quadric of, uh, season two, uh, and we learned a, a big-time lesson from it, is, uh, long-distance relationships do not work. Oh, that's right! Halfway through season two... You cut and ran. I cut and ran to Austin, Texas! yeah, To join your now wife. My now Yeah, I mean, it was a good move on my part. Absolutely. And then, I want to say, not too long after... Almost, uh... Maybe maybe some less than zero episodes in there in between, but yeah. I dragged you kicking and screaming to Austin, and you hate it. You hate every second. I of can't stand it. You can't it. Can't stand Rainy it. Street, Sixth Street, Daniel Johnston. No, Daniel Johnston was okay. Rest in peace, Daniel Johnston, by the way. He passed away on Wednesday. Hey, he was a songwriter. Songwriter and the Hi, How Are You painter. Oh. Little alien guy? That's sad. Yeah, very sad. He was, uh, troubled guy who made 58. really amazing music. He was 58. Uh, shame. Way too fucking young. 58, way too he had a lot of problems. I'm trying to live forever and this motherfucker is dying at 58. Uh he had health and mental wellness problems. I got um, I, I, pretty I, severe. Yeah, I'm dialing back the joke. But uh may rest he in rest peace. in peace. May he rest in peace. Too young. Uh, that bastard. However, (laughs) season two. Season two, long distance was very hard. About a year later, I moved to Austin and uh, have not regretted it since. I very much like Austin. And season two was also, we had a lot of guests because we, we were in these community. Was it, we were in this community of comedians. Yes. And so we would bring local comedians, local, our friends basically would bring our friends onto the show. Do little bits with them. I think we had Logan on and we played a D&D session where he killed us. That was one of my favorite episodes. I, I, I remember... You complaining about balancing the levels of dice rolling because they were way too loud, which yeah. is like, that was the whole point. But that's why you have a little velvet, a little velveteen pouch. And now that I listen to a bunch of D&D podcasts, you know what you'd barely ever hear? Dice rolling? Dice rolling. They usually roll them on an app. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, or or they roll them in, in a box. box. Yeah. Or, or they roll them in a box. Yeah. It's smart. They're, they're smart about it. It's almost like it's their job. Uh, and then I moved to Austin and then season three happened. Season three was a big one for us. Season 3 started with episode 100, maybe our biggest, dumbest produced episode ever, with this whole fictitious rise of the machine kind of thing with our friendly neighborhood exposition robot. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. And uh, what we wanted to do in this season was make the show fun. Yes, I feel like for uh, season 1 was figuring it out. Season 2 was uh, the opposite figuring. Season 2 had what I like to call an ABC's lost problem. Yeah. In that we thought we knew where it was going. And, and then in Season 3 we gave up and it got way better. Pretty much. Se- season 3 was let's make it fun and let's stop trying so hard. You know, come in with topics that we want to vaguely talk about. Find bits within those topics and... Just make it fun and worth listening to. Now, for what it's worth, Season 2 did give us two great gifts. What did they give us? It gave us the Frightened Times. Oh, yeah. It also gave us Monkey Japes, a holiday which occurs at some point on some day at some year. It has not happened since. It's been a really long time (laughs) since the last Monkey Japes. But who knows when it will happen again. Monkey Japes happens by surprise. Frightened Times is one of my favorite things we do. And I'm, I'm always nervous to follow it up, you know, the, the next year. Because, like, the first year was like a lightning in a bottle scenario where everything kind of came together and the, and everything was great. And season two, I want to say we succeeded, but I, I don't know. It's like when you do something for a second time, how do you objectively look at it and judge it on whether or not it succeeded or failed. Yeah, I mean, when something loses the shine of novelty, you then just have to look at it critically. And that's why a lot of people who create one thing give up after they created a second thing. Yeah. Because it doesn't give them the immediate rush of creating thing one. And we're, we're dangerously close, John, to the next Frightened Times, which... Whew, I, I don't know. I, I've got some things maybe planned... When I say planned, I mean, and the looseless, the looseless, the Lucy, Lucy is looseless, Lucy, Lucy, <laughs> Lucy Lawless. Loosest? And the loosest Lawless. Meaning, meaning of the Manning. <laughs> in the Lucy Manning. In the Lucy Manning meaning of that word. <laughs> They're not very much planned, is yeah, what I'm trying yeah. to say. It's what I'm trying to stutter yeah. out. Uh, but it should be fun, and uh, I don't know, maybe may- maybe, maybe things will happen. Maybe, th- maybe bad things will happen. Uh, the Frightened Times always guarantees one thing, bad things will happen, and we will never remember them. Yep. We and... just know that every time the Frightened Times happens, the world changes forever, but we can't remember what it was like <laughs> before it changed, but we have to assume it was better. Oh my god, that's like... I need to listen to this again. Write it down, and that's a fucking, that's a story right there, buddy. That's the, that's the story, oh, like a story for your book you're trying to finish. No. Oh. A different book that (laughs) I'm going to start and never finish. (laughs) Nice, perfect. See you in a decade. Uh And that brings us to... Season four. Season four. We say ta-ta to season three. Goodbye. Bienvenidos. And we look on to the future of season four, the season that we're starting right now, which we have not discussed, as far as like the 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 like objectives for, like the raison d'être for. You know, mm-hmm. if season four were our lives, why would we get up every day and continue season four routine? That's a sad <laughs> answer, but ultimately probably a realistic one. I feel like, for what it's worth, we've we've hit our stride in season three. Had a lot of fun in season three. And I feel like as long as we continue to treat this dumb thing as a fun way to pour our creative energies into, we'll just see what happens, man. There's a weird thing in growing up where, at least with creative endeavors, you go through a phase where it's like, this is working, but how could it be better? Yeah. And I think we're getting to a point in our our collective ages where it's kind of like, this is working, why would we change it? And that's not to say it's plateauing. That's Mm -hmm. not saying we're getting lazy. It's saying, why put more effort into this, this this fun little hobby we have, when our lives are getting more complicated, more complex, our relationships are growing deeper, Mm -hmm. the things that we're involved in are, are heavier. Yeah. So why would we turn this little light escape from our lives, this little podcast, this little gym of an apple that we love to munch on in the uh-huh. sun, mm-hmm. why would we turn that into like a, a banquet when we don't have to? That's the that's a question that a lot of people run into when they have like a a plateauing or they reach like a point of stagnation or inertia in like all art. Yeah. Like I've experienced that in improv and like everything I've tried to do. And I hear this from a lot of people and the the piece of advice that I typically get from people who are like good at things and I respect is that uh, yes, your life, like, becomes more complicated, and your life in general gets more texture, and there's no reason why your artistic endeavors shouldn't do the same thing. Because the, the life that's getting more complicated, and your relationships that are deepening don't necessarily require more of your time than they did before. And you don't necessarily have to make an artistic endeavor require more time, but that doesn't mean you don't, that doesn't mean you stop trying to see new and interesting things in it. Because, comfort is, it, is okay but complacency is bad so you're saying the exact opposite of what i'm saying that we should do more well you're saying that naturally it should become more oh naturally it absolutely does not do that oh no when so when your saying, attention is focused elsewhere it's easy to forget about art so but you have to make like a conscious effort so what you're saying is we need to do that whereas i was saying why why would we yeah, it's just very easy to to not put a lot of effort into it. But also this is a, a fun escape that we don't get paid for, so like we'll address it as it needs to be addressed. No, I think that I think you're setting out the the conflict of season four. You're gonna be trying your fucking hardest and I'm gonna be like, Oh man, why are you trying so hard, bruh? Bruh, you don't need to graduate high school to get a good job, man. I work at I work at the tire shop. And I I make $10 an hour, and that's enough to buy me weed, brah. This would be an amazing dichotomy, because that is not what the podcast has been ever, uh, which is me phoning it in, for the most part. Sometimes I do a good edit. You've got a lot on your plate. Eh. I will always remember probably the best, two best edits that you have done in my mind. Mm -hmm. One is the last episode of the first Frightened Times where you modulated your goddamn voice into making me think you got you hired a voice actor. I uh, I like that I like that one a lot. I, I liked editing I enjoy editing for the franchise more than I enjoy editing for anything else. The second these are equal, this isn't like number two, but the other I should say, the other really good edit that I I remember off the top of my head, it was Jamie and I on the podcast. And we made jokes about how you weren't there. And through editing, you inserted yourself. And it was wonderful and great. And it's probably my favorite episode. Something that I very much think about because of that episode was it was a genuine delight to take an episode I had not heard before and find funny things about it. And also find stuff that I just removed. Uh, but it was nice to like look at something with totally fresh eyes because you know the conversations we have. At this point, I can almost edit by sight on some of the conversations we have. I'm like, I know that we didn't do anything for like 30 seconds. Yeah. But I see now why people have like engineers and editors and interns because these people who are listening to these things for the first time can really find new stuff. And we will never have that. Well, I mean, it's one of those things I see people resist for some reason. Like, I used to watch the Game Grumps. Way back when they first started and they got an an editor Mm -hmm. whose name was Barry and Barry would edit in jokes and then over time there would be less and less of that and Mm -hmm. it's because the creative people behind that show was like that's not what we want to do but it added a whole layer of funny that that was visual and separate from the the other sort of humor going on and there, there are... People who embrace it, like I don't know if you know of Inside Gaming, Mm-mm. the the gaming news show. I do not. Done by the people who are behind Funhouse. Okay, but the editors of those shows they put in, you know, kind, chi- you know, you, of course, you taught me about Chirons. yes, news Chirons. Mm-hmm. They do those as jokes, yeah. And the editor is the one who comes up with those jokes and just inserts them. And like, they took Labor Day off, mm-hmm. and the one of the people on camera made a joke. It's like, okay, you know. We filmed this two episodes on Friday. So, you know, this isn't fresh. And the editor wrote, we haven't been in the studio for four months. Nice. Very good. So, I mean, like, I like that, uh, that, that third party, fresh eyes approach to humor. They can see jokes that we're going to miss because we're in it. I mean, it, it's worth noting that, uh, a, an essential part of the conversation for media, specifically like visual media that we enjoy that we're not comfortable with is uh, editors tell the story. Yeah. We, you have no idea how vitally important an editor is to any movie or TV show you've ever watched. Well, I mean, one of the things that people say about Star Wars A New Hope is that it was saved in the editing bay. Like, it became a movie in the editing bay. And I've heard similar things about Rogue One. Like, editing sort of saved whatever was happening in the principal filming. But, like, look at... The Coen Brothers movies, right? Sure, I love them. They they typically share this same kind of ephemeral feel that's almost impossible to identify. Like, you really can't put into words why they all feel the same. Almost across the board, they all have the same editor. That's really good. Yeah, they try to maintain the same editor so they can maintain the same feel. It's not overtly visual like in Wes Anderson, where you can tell there's a very Anderson influence in the color palette, the lighting, the composition of the shots. In Wes Anderson, it's like between director and cinematographer, like, the staging of this is such that it looks like Wes Anderson. But editors give you feel and flow and things that you can't even describe, but are like fundamentally important. I, I, it's a, and it, that's why we need an editor. That's why we need... So what we're going to say, right now, we are promising... No, I'm kidding. No. Season 4 would be a good time to get a third-party editor. But again, we wouldn't be able to pay them. Yeah, they want money. Or oh, they don't have time. That's why, right here, right now, for the first time that we've ever discussed, I'm going to ask your overworked, overburdened... She's got way too much going on, your girlfriend, to be our editor. Uh, she will not edit sound. All right. She is a video editor and part-time graphic designer and hates editing audio. I 100% understand and accept that, and so you heard it here first, folks. (laughs) John and I are your season four (laughs) editors. We are. I try. We are your editors here, now, and forever. But if you want to edit for us, let us know. I'm not going to do the whole social media plug right now because it's way too fucking early. Uh But, like, just send us a lifeline. Tell us, hey, we would be interested. I say we because maybe there's three of you. (laughs) if Collectively, as, like, a hive mind, you want to edit our episodes. Whatever. If you and your two brothers want to edit our podcast and we have a, a team of three brothers who edit all of our podcasts on rotation or at the same time, ooh, what if it's one person? Okay, what if they pretend to be one person, but there's actually three twin brothers, and it's like, uh, The Prestige. Ooh! We wouldn't care, because we wouldn't pay them. Well, And also, it would be fucking magical, because we wouldn't know! We wouldn't know! We'd be like, anyone in the audience in The Prestige. You know what the best thing about The Prestige is? How good it is? And, yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, but no. He said that (laughs) with such dismissal. You're like... Yeah, it's okay. No, The Prestige is the best Christopher Nolan movie. It's no illusionist. Uh, Ed Norton. Absolutely not. Uh, but the great thing about The Prestige is he goes to uh, David Bowie Tesla, does actual electricity magic to get a clone, and then he confronts uh, Christian Bale. I forget his character's name. He's like, I just had a twin, dude. Like, Yeah. Why'd, why'd you do this? I know. It, spoilers for The Prestige. but If you haven't seen it by now. Uh, Everyone knows what the twist of The Prestige is. It's like people who don't know about what Face Off is about. I want to take your... I want to take his his face face off. This is my... uh, Face Off. So good. I don't know what I was listening to because I listened to a lot of their stuff. But Glass Cannon Network, they had a whole diatribe about Face Off. Uh Uh-huh. Highly recommend. I can't tell you what show exactly it was I cannot tell you what show or episode or a timestamp. No but scrub through all of their content. So good. They did this do a whole face off like in the middle of like whatever they're doing. Face off phenomenal. We need to do another shit face off. It's uh it's great. It is the anti John uh uh-huh. I feel like Face Off is actually kind of the John Wick of its time because it's a huge commercial success and it has a huge cult following. Yeah. Somehow both. But for some reason and this is this eludes me, doesn't have two sequels. It absolutely should. It should have two sequels for having the most perfect title in film history. And let's just face it: it's the last time. Let's jo- just face off. Let's just face off. Last time John Travolta was good in film. What? I don't. Know, I don't wait, know. If it's wait. Be- I have no wait, idea. If it's wait. Before hold. Pulp wait. Fiction wait. Hold. Wait. Hold. now you're right. Okay. Yeah. Pulp Fiction brought him back, and then he was in like. Was Face Off before Pulp Fiction? No, Face Off was quite a bit later than Pulp Fiction. Well, then I I stand by my statement. Yeah, John Travolta kind of, like, fell off, and then he had, like, a Travolta renaissance when he was brought back by Quentin Tarantino. People and, uh, liked him, and I think it's Hairspray as, like, the mother? Yeah, that's sleep. That's, that's latter-day Travolta. That's kind of like a breakout role and not like quintessential Travolta, you know? But that's Hairspray. That That's in the 2000s. Yeah. That's very recent. I want to say that's post-2010. I feel like people's... Travolta had a career in like the 80s and then had to come back in the 90s. He already had a comeback. I'm going to say that... His th- career is long. The top f- three, four. The top four quintessential Travolta m- moments... Right here, 150 Zero Credit Exclusive. One of these days, I'm going to have an episode where I say all the words correctly, and no one's going to fucking notice. Right now, top four quintessential Tron (laughs) Dramondra... John Travolta moments. Tron (laughs) Dramondra... Number one, Face Off. Uh Uh-huh. Number two, Pulp Fiction. Sure. Number three... That award show where he had <laughs> introduced Adela Azim Yeah. And number four, Hairspray. <laughs> number four, Hairspray. The four uh, John Travolta moments that Henry remembers. No, those are the quintessential. Yeah. Unquestionable. Those are the top ones. You're right. Pulp Fiction's very good. Face Off, probably the best Travolta movie. <sighs> probably. We can't get Absolutely. In, we can't get we into Face Off. But how insane is it that... Basically, what they did with Face Off is they said, let's get two of who, two of the most on the record insane actors who like cannot follow a script, are completely nuts, have like crazy breakdowns. Let's put them together with, I don't know, a famed Chinese, uh, martial arts movie director. Uh, let's just see what happens. How's your dead son? Oh, it's so good. Okay. I'm going to propose this right now. We're going to do a little pitch meeting right now. Supplemental reading for face-off. Absolutely. I right. do it in a heartbeat. But we have to be shit-faced. Shit-faced off? Shit-faced off supplementary. I want to take his shit-faced off. We would have to do it during the weekend to be safe. Absolutely. Okay. No question. Uh, no, face-off is good. So season four. Yes. Circling back. Better, more of the same, right? More, better of the same, I would say. Okay, more, better of the same. Better, more, the same. Content that you're familiar with, done better. Yes. But we're still going to be phoning it in. Just, we'll get better phones. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is going to be phoning it in on iPhone X. iPhone 11. 11? Yeah. Got triple... Triple camera. Well, that's the iPhone 11 Max Pro, whatever. Triple, triple camera. It's got three camera. Remember when digital cameras were a thing? Uh, they still are a thing. No, only for professionals. DSLR? For professionals. I have one. Are you a hobbyist? No. I'm just <laughs> bad with money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I. Succeed whatever point I was trying to make. <laughs> uh, season four, more season better, four. less bigger, larger, more uncut. Is that the <laughs> South Park tagline? Season four, the same, better maybe. <laughs> season four, I'm gonna save headlines on Reddit and read them out loud, and that will be an entire episode, and you'll you'll hate it. You'll I've hate got it. it. You I've would got hate it. That you I've would got hate it. it. You would hate it. Zero credit season four. No promises. That <laughs> <laughs> the official tagline of Zero Credits Season 4 No promises. We promise it'll be good. If they made a fourth face-off, do you think it would be F4CEOFF? It perplexes me that Leet Speak has not been adapted as an easy way to continue franchise titles. There was Drive Threer. What driver? The third driver video game had a three instead of. That's a video game. I'm talking about movies here. Yeah, like too fast, too furious, fast and the furious. They didn't say it. That didn't happen. They did. That would have been perfect. Or just use put a five instead of the S and furious. Perfect. They Uh, won't do it. Our good, our friend of the show, our good friend of the show, Jeff had a joke about Fast Nine. Where it was gonna be an all female remake of Fast and Furious. And he I think he called it the Fine in the Furious, like okay, F9. Yeah. As a joke. 9 But also, why not? Yeah, I would uh I would co-sign all female Fast and Furious. I think that was rumored at one time with of course Michelle Rodriguez right. Whoa, <laughs> say the name right. Michelle Rodriguez, uh-huh. thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Me. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. I think the, the plans for that fell through because, uh... I mean, try. Huh? Maybe? Maybe. I don't think so. They instead decided to make a hyper-male movie about The Rock and Jason Statham. Speaking but of Vanessa movies... Kirby's there. She is. She's really good. I like her. We had a whole fucking episode about it. Okay. Speaking of movies, you're going to transition to something that's not related to our show. Yes. Uh, because we've talked about our show long enough and promises for the future. Because I don't want to make too many promises because... Zero Crowd season four, no promises. I'm two rum, rum drinks in, John. This is about, this is Promise Henry time. By the way, where did the rum go? Did you pour yourself another rum? Here you go. Did you? Earlier. When I did? Yes. So this is what what I'm going to do next is bad? I already had a shot before. I can't do it there. Uh, Anyway. Do your whole thing. If if you're this many rum drinks in, I've got some, uh, I've got an ill portent for you, Henry. Because I've actually arranged for a surprise interview. Shit. So I know that everyone here is a little, here in the studio and in the world is a little bit on edge right now. Why and would, we all know... Why on earth would you say that? We all know what we're on edge about. And I thought to clear the air, to clear his name, that I would invite someone here for you to interview. So that we could maybe try to get to the to the bottom of this. Uh, so, please, uh, welcome to the Zero Credit Studio, uh, star of the upcoming October film, Joker... Uh, The Joker. You, no, please, uh, ha- have a seat on the couch. I'm The Joker. I'm here to ruin the discourse. I'm here to make incels angry. Oh, okay, I, I don't, I don't know if I was ready for this, but uh, Mr. Joker? Yes. Uh, so you've got a new movie coming out this October. Yes. You star in it. Yes. Uh, did, is John's Coke can empty? No. Oh, th- thank you, Mr. Joker. That was very nice of you to pass that without, like, it, it exploding in my face. Can I stop doing the voice? Look, I just want to level with you, okay? <laughs> I just want to be myself. Well, this is on the record. Are you okay with that? That's fine. All right. Well, all right, Mr. Joker. I just... Let's, let's, let's just have a good... A lot of people... ...are attributing a lot to your whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a journalist... Yes. I just... Let's get to the bottom of it. And, and I mean, we have to understand that as a journalist... A lot of journalists have been out there saying things like... This movie should be banned. This Joker movie should be banned. Because it's, quote-unquote, dangerous. And I just want to be clear. I 100% agree. The Firstly... Anyone who considers themselves progressive, their number one concern should be banning art. (laughs) The, really, progressives throughout history have been very on the ball about banning art for being concerned about how it would impact culture. Uh, Progressives really do believe that uh, politics is downstream of art and not vice versa in history. Not fascists. Well, that's very interesting, but I... I have seen a lot of what I guess I will call jokes or memes. I don't know the difference between the two these days. Where people are attributing the end of your movie where you turn to the camera and say, all straight white males should pick up a gun and start shooting people. That's a joke? That's a joke that I've seen on Twitter? Uh Uh-huh. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about these jokes being attributed to your work? Well, it's in the title of the movie, The Joker. Everything that's said and done in the movie is actually a joke. Including the part where when the movie opens, I'm dancing on some stairs, and I open my my shirt, and I have a shirt underneath that says, Incels are right and should kill. That's a joke! So, even though... That this scene that you just said is played straight into music. Yes. There's no laugh track. There's no, No. there's no, you know, I find a lot of these days symbolism gets lost in the average viewer. And so even though that's played straight, you are insisting right now that it is 100% for comedy. Absolutely. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's called a joke movie. It's called Joker the Joke Movie. And that's what it's about. And the most important thing that people need to take away from this is no matter what everyone says, this movie uh encourages extremism. That's what it exists for. People should be afraid. Uh I'm here to ruin the discourse. And everyone who is like, but wringing their hands about a superhero movie is 100% right. So rather than this being a, a, a character piece, an extreme study on what might a day that or, or events that might cause one to turn to what can only be described as domestic terrorism. You are saying that it is meant to be taking 100% literal and it is endorsing extremism and anything that comes out from that. So it's it's jokes, right? But it's jokes that are meant to incite violence. That's the important thing that you need to understand is at the end of the day, this movie and Todd Phillips, the director, he made The Hangover and a couple other things... It primarily exists to incite extremism, not as a a piece of art in any way. In fact, art is dead. The only thing that exists now is statements through art. That's the only thing that truly exists. Anything that any art that in any way questions your worldview actually supports, encourages, and speaks a lathe of heaven-like into reality, a reality that you do not care for, which is why art should be banned. So even though you opened this interview by mocking progressives for wanting to ban art, you are now calling for the no, ban of art. I wasn't I was not mocking them. I'm saying that that is what progressives want to do. Historically, progressives have, have banned art, not fascists. Never fascists. So you are agreeing with them. That Absolutely. Art should be So does that make you Progressive? No, the, see, the whole point of this movie is to ruin the discourse and encourage violence. Everything that people say about this movie is true. Now, I want to ask you, this This is removed from your film, and, uh... Because not long ago, in a, in a cinema, in Aurora, Colorado, someone dressed as you and opened fire on... An unsuspecting theater audience. Mm-hmm. How does your film, does your film separate itself from reality enough that it will not encourage copycats or people inspired by this incite violence message? That you seem to be wanting to put forth. Well, it's important to keep in mind that the 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 unfortunate events in Colorado were not uh undertaken by a man who had red hair, not green hair, and in fact had in no way ever uh had any kind of like jokery affiliations, and it was like a weird thing that was picked up by the media. That didn't happen. Uh he was a hundred percent inspired by the Joker, loved the Joker, wanted to kill, and this movie, uh Does not condemn that in any way. It exists, like I said, to encourage violence. And and that's why everyone who, like, believes in art should try to uh, ban things and control the discourse. In this time, in this political climate, where politicians, or let's not even say that, where people are being inspired by politicians to take violent actions... Do you think it's really wise to release a movie whose only message and goal is to inspire violence in this already sort of, what do they call it, powder keg of a political climate? Well, that's the point I'm making, is contrary to popular belief, rather than art being downstream from policy, policy is downstream from art. The art that we make creates politics, not the other way around, as some people erroneously seem to believe. Uh, no, we want to make things worse. That's all art ever has existed to do, is, is make things worse. And anyone who believes otherwise is just ridiculous. Todd Phillips personally spoke to me and he said, we, uh, the creators of art, have the power to uh, incite violence and change the world overnight. And I want people to be afraid of this innocuous piece of art that I'm creating that largely just mimics Martin Scorsese's movies. Well, that is a lot to to process. And I, I think you've given us a lot to think about today. I, I just have one more question. Yes. Um, I've heard rumors from the CEO of Hot Topics, Kid, that you are twisted. Oh, yes, I'm very twisted. Very, I'm twisted and damaged. You're very twisted I'm and very damaged. Twisted, very well, damaged. thank you for coming into the studio today. Thank you for your time. I don't want to take up too much. I think you have a lot of talk shows to get to 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 continue to defend and, and and justify this movie that you and Todd Phillips have made. Yes, I have um, to go replatform Sean Spicer. Okay. He was on Dancing with the Stars. It's time for him to come back. He's going to be real uh he's going to lie more and be more racist this time. It's I, me the Joker, goodbye. All right, uh, goodbye the Joker. Man, that guy Kind of twisted, pretty twisted and damaged like the i I think the c e o of hot topic's daughter or son was correct in describing them as damaged, yeah, or no, twisted that's the the interesting thing about that joker guy is uh he's twisted he's twisted, but also the the joker as a uh, as a fictional entity, I think maybe he's uh he's got some kind of uh It's the first time in history this has got to be the case where a fictional supervillain is now basically a real supervillain. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. I want to have a conversation with you, John. Not the Joker? Not the Joker. Okay. About this Joker. He left. Yeah, he's gone. I want to to talk to you about this Joker movie. Uh Uh-huh. Because I have perceived it as sort of like a character study in what would cause the creation of sort of a domestic terrorist who happens to fit the profile of a majority of the cases of th- domestic terrorism for the past ten years. Uh-huh. I'm not putting any labels on that. You can look it up yourself. Yes. What are you perceiving this movie to be? Uh, I mean, I I don't much care uh, as to what this movie is. Uh, The only thing that concerns me about this movie is that uh, people seem to be uh, acting like it's cool to, like, Ban or deride its existence, which is ridiculous. Uh, I I think this movie is probably completely innocuous. I think at the end of the day, it it's a movie. I don't think it's going to have any cultural power stronger than any other sort of movie. And I, I, if something happens because of this movie, I will gladly eat those words and, and like apologize on a national scale. But I I feel like we've seen movies like this before. I don't think this movie is any different from another movie that features an anti-hero who is pushed to the edge and ends up going all the way to villain. I mean, I think even if you, even if you made the concession that this could be a film that portrays a kind of like, Racist or jingoistic or, like, uh, narcissistic violence that's much more in line with domestic terrorists in the U.S. over the past, like, 30 years, even if it, like, literally depicted that, then it's entirely possible, nay, probable, that it would be satire. You have movies like Falling Down, which literally show, like, racist, xenophobic violence committed by, like, archetypical white men, but it's just satire. Yeah. Like... The, the people who are out here, like, trying to ban a movie or saying that they're scared by the release of it and, and what it's going to do, they, they have no eye toward history. Like, we're worried about this movie's existence, but this movie isn't something that's upstream of policy. The things that we're scared about when we talk about this movie are the fact that, like, racists and murderers have been, like, emboldened over the past, I don't know, three to four years uh, to a to a pretty exceptional degree and have been for the last 20 years. But to to say that the Joker coming out is going to incite some kind of violence is preposterous. Like the Aurora shooting, right? Yeah. There's nothing... Read about it. There is nothing about the Aurora shooting that makes it seem as though this person was in any way inspired by the character of the Joker. Like, there's nothing there. Feel free to look it up. I mean, I, I will sort of agree to disagree with that. Only because it's the only story the media gave us. And that's the only version of the events that we can, we can have. Like, there are headlines that say, you know, he, he apparently claimed to say he was the Joker. Mm-hmm. But that's all filtered through the media. We weren't there. Yeah. It, it... We, we And at that point, you know, he was in custody and he had just shut up, a theater, what else is he going to fucking say, you know? It's it's almost impossible to diagnose as far as the actual cause of an event like that. We live in a time where we can only sort of... The only filter we have is the media, and the media can present any story they want. They control the facts. But typically the media will just do something that's attractive, and things that are attractive are... Have, like, easy A-B connections. And if you want evidence of that, just turn the dial back a month and you'll see, like, this weird new weather warning system where a, 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 a normal thunderstorm moves through the Midwest and a bunch of news stations owned by Sinclair Media Group calls it, like, a code orange storm. And the National Weather Association had to come out and say, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. We have our own rating system for storms. This was just a normal thunderstorm system that you would see on a normal summer day. Mm -hmm. And there was no danger present. But for ratings, the Sinclair Media Group, who is a sensationalist, not good, accurate media group. Just a truly evil organization. they, They played it up. To get ratings because bad weather plays well on the news. Yeah. So, sensationalism ruins the story. The truth can't come out through the media. That's kind of where we are. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't think we should be in a hurry to, like, ban art or say that art is dangerous. And and here's the thing. Like, if we are going to be progressive, I'm usually on the side of progressives, but there is a... I don't want to call them a faction. I don't want to call them anything at all. There is a tendency for progressives to go too far. Yeah. To to move into the territory of becoming sort of fascist and banning art. Mhm. If we're going to allow stories to be told, we need to the the ideal situation is to allow all stories to be told and to study those stories for sort of the wrongs and the rights as they pertain to society. Like, we don't want to ban stories about fascism because they can become cautionary tales. Yeah. If we never hear about fascism, fascism, we never hear about tales about fascism, it might start to seem appealing to people because they don't know the dangers of it. It's also worth noting that there's a fair number of, like, fully fascist movies that get made and get put on the big screen. You just don't typically see them because they don't have wide releases, but they're, like, weird, like, cop and soldier propaganda things that are put up by relatively small publishing houses that get a couple well, million dollars. And every Oscar season there is, like, the, the what is it, like, American shooter or soul survivor. Yeah. Like, the, the purely these... Purely fascist. Purely patriotic war stories that get played up. I think there was one that, that Chris Hensworth was in, with, like... Cavalry and Afghanistan. Sure. There were horse riders or something. Every... And, like... I don't know. You watch these movies. I watched... I think it was Soul Survivor. You watch it from a story perspective, and it's like, well, it's called Soul Survivor, and he's with a military group right now. So we know how it's gonna end. Yeah. I, I, I Like, I don't... Like military movies, I think *Saving Private Ryan* is a great movie. Yeah, I mean, but I think, also like, I think it's fictionalized, right? It's not a real story. But even then, you you can have a story that features the military or the police or firefighters or whatever, and have it not be like fascist in nature. Like, For something to be fascist, it will uh, it will unfairly glorify military service and the service to one's country and the use of one's Body and time and energy as a tool of the state. So any story about war, I think, should highlight the horrors of war. Like, that's one of the good things about the Game of Thrones TV show. Despite all its failings, war was always depicted as a horrifying, disgusting, unnatural thing. Yeah. And that's sort of the purpose of the book. George R. Martin is really good about showing that War is horrible and bad and should be avoided. And I think something like Band of Brothers, that war story is a good version of the war story because it doesn't highlight or glorify war. It shows the realities, the horrible, gritty sort of truth. I think... I'm talking too much, but historic drama is better than straight-up propaganda piece. Absolutely. Like American Sniper or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. And... Whatever the Chris Hemsworth one, I don't even I didn't see that one. I can't comment on it. Yeah, I mean the the glorification of the military is fascistic in nature, and ugh, the thing that we have to worry about is I feel like people that we ascribe certain progressive values to, people who are calling for like the banning or the deplatforming of art, specifically this Joker movie, which I think probably is going to be okay at best. I think it's going to be subpar. Yeah, I don't think that I have a lot of uh hope in Todd Phillips. I love Walking Phoenix. He can put a great performance, but it's probably fine. Honestly, like, the only reason why we have this, like, weird aversion to this movie's existence is because we have... <sighs> it, it's, comic book characters have become American mythology at this point, yeah. and American mythology pretty unfortunately has put a lot of animus behind the character of the Joker being associated with a certain kind of, uh, not even anarchistic, but a kind of like amoral, narcissistic white person violence. Which is weird, because we don't even know if he's white. Yeah, no idea. He wears clown makeup. Honestly, it could be anyone under there. Yeah. And and that's sort of the point. The Joker, and I mean, this is the horrible thing, and the point of the killing joke, like the Joker could be anyone. Yeah. One bad day is, is his theory. That separates him from everyone else. And he tries to get that one bad day to be Commissioner Gordon. It's a really good written piece. I think Alan Moore, it's yeah. one of the works that he still stands behind. Even mm-hmm. though he kind of just, he, he decries a lot of the other things he wrote. He just lives in the mountains or whatever. Uh, he, he, wor- he worships a snake god. Yeah. He's my hero. Magic. I love magic. I think, like, and I think to a certain point... People extrapolate too much with the Joker. He is a comic book villain. Yes. And I cannot don't... Cannot stress that enough. Yeah. He, he shouldn't be more than that. Like, he... In the realm of comics, he is a cosmic force. He is the antithesis of all that is good in Batman. He is... Mm. We've talked about this before. Batman believes in the good of people. The Joker cannot believe in the good of anyone. And that's why, in The Dark Knight, he's surprised by the fairies don't blow up. The, I mean, he is, in his core, a literary device. Mm-hmm. He should not be at all, at any time, in any depiction, translated into real-world consequences. I mean, it's it just comes down to the thing that I keep saying about our society. Read another book. Read, read, read any other book. <laughs> read another depiction of the Joker. Read, read I mean, another depiction of the Joker or read anything other than comic books or different comic books. Yeah. Like, read another book. It's as simple as that. And then you won't be terrified by everything. Another question that, that is brought up by this weird outcry to de-platform this Joker movie is... We get up in arms about the banning of books. Mm -hmm. We think books are sort of a medium that should never be prohibited. Mm -hmm. When we start trying to ban a movie, what is the difference? There's no difference. Exactly. No, there's no difference. in in, Because this is like a a weird, dark hypothetical. But if there was a movie that literally depicted the uh, radicalization of of, like, a white supremacist violent agitator in the United States, if it literally showed that, and if it showed that in a glorious way, I still don't think that that movie should be banned. I think that if you live in a country where that gets, like, funded and sent out to the public, and it gets, like, a claim or millions of dollars, move. Yeah. But it's, it's a... Because the likelihood is that it wouldn't get... Critical acclaim... Yeah, or no, of Like, you can look at religious... Overly religious movies... Like, God's Not Dead 1, 2... There might be a 3... Like... Movies made by people... With very singular, very isolating ideals... They don't play at the box office... They don't get that huge release... They don't make end game numbers... Yeah, I mean, even... Uh, the ones you mentioned... Like, a God's Not Dead a huge critical breakout for the uh for that sect of people. Yeah. Huge numbers for things that typically don't get any time. This at least showed on big screens. Uh but still it had like the most milk toast message of any like pro existence of god, anti-cultural flow message they could have, which is like stop acting like god's not dead. God's dead. He's here. Wah. That Which, would be did and said nothing. I mean, the the stupid thing is is like, if you have proof that God exists, that goes against the whole teachings. What about the banana, man? Okay, that's stupid. Hold it's on. designed perfectly for the human hand. You open. Your I door, hate that, that argument because if you see bananas and undomesticated bananas are full of seeds that do not digest. Uh huh. Okay. Shut up about that. GMOs. Let are me the proof that God exists from a semi-religious stance. Let me just say, yes. If you have definitive proof that God is real, that sort of defeats the purpose of religion. Yeah, you're, it's supposed to be faith. That's the whole. That's the whole point. That's the whole point why he doesn't reveal himself anymore. Blah blah blah. So God's not dead or whatever. The fact I, I don't even know the premise. Does a kid die and come back and like? Right, I went to heaven. I don't know. Religion does not belong in pop culture because it shouldn't be. You shouldn't profit off religion. That's it's kind of stated in the Bible. I mean, there was a there was a debate that I was having in my earliest years of college when I was a more steadfast ha- atheist than I am now. Atheist. Uh, I was a Haitian atheist, uh, but I was talking to someone who was Catholic and was also gay. Uh, and I was like, I got you because hard they reconcile. say that your people are evil. Uh, so let me beat you over the head with this. And I was talking to him about it, debating him about it in class. And he said that uh, God exists outside of any rational thinking because uh, faith and reason don't interrelate. And I was like, shit, so I can't debate you anymore. Cool. Well, I mean, here's the th- like. I had a history teacher. Not to say it's a cop out. I think it's a. I think it's accurate. Yeah, I, I had a history teacher kind of open my eyes. I don't know why he did this, but he said there's nothing scientific that can prove God, and there's nothing faith based that can disprove science. They are parallel. They will never intersect. Yeah, they're, because that's the nature of what they are. Yeah, they're like uh, they're just two parallel lines, never intersecting. Never can they. And I think that's an acceptable way to live your life. And to those who live their life that way, that's great. Mm -hmm. And to anyone who tries to use science or use faith to disprove one another, you're wasting your time. Because anyone who is 100% scientific and anyone who is 100% faith-based, they will never listen to the other. And all of that to say, Joker bad. I don't know. I want to see the movie. I'll see it. From like a Netflix perspective. I don't know if I want to go to the theater. I don't know if I want to devote an entire evening or afternoon to it. But I I kind of want to see... Because I am a Batman fan. A Bat fan? A Bat fan. And I am a person who... From a certain perspective, the Joker is the complete opposite of Batman. And that is fascinating. Because Batman is a fascinating character. So his foil, naturally, is fascinating. Uh Uh-huh. And if you're going to have a movie, kind of like Venom... If you're going to have a movie featuring the villain that... And no way... best superhero movie of all time, Venom? Yeah, best superhero movie of all time. Sony Pictures. Fucking brilliant decision to take Spider-Man out of the MCU. Fuck Mm -hmm. you. manifique. Yeah, Italian punk rocker fist-to-the-face kiss. Fuck Sony. Anyway, if you're going to devote an entire two-hour, 30-minute runtime movie, I don't know the runtime of the movie, a full feature-length film to a villain, I want to see what you do with it. Yeah. From a, a creative writing perspective, I want to see how do you make this movie go forward, what the fuck do you do besides do the killing joke, Without the Batman segments, which I honestly believe that's what he did. That's more than likely what happened. Because even like the tagline is like, oh, something about one bad day. Yeah. Which is the entire point of the killing joke. If that's what it is, then I think it's weak from a creative stance, and it shouldn't have been made. Mm -hmm. If the performance that Joaquin Phoenix does is magnifique, Italian-French chef kiss, then hey, whatever. But the point is, it's like... No one has seen the fucking movie yet, right? Other than Cannes, where they gave it, like, an eight-minute standing ovation. Oh, oh, it's been screened. C-A-N-N-E-S. Yes. The, no. the K-A-H-S. <laughs> <laughs> the, the French movie festival. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, notorious for for not letting bad movies in. Yeah, no, they've given it, like... It was at least a finalist... Not for the palm door, I don't think. It's just rum. It's just rum. You're oh God, it's so strong. Uh, okay, but no, it it's uh, so, it's doing well. And you know what? You know what? What? We gotta make them fight. The two movies that people want to cancel the most. Welcome to cancel corner. Welcome to Cancel Corner, man. Well, the rest of the episode will be Cancel Corner. What's the other movie that people want welcome, to cancel? No, Welcome to Cancel Corner. There's only two... There's the two movies. What is people? the other movie? Jojo Rabbit. No! Joker versus Jojo Rabbit. Hold on. Similar people are saying similar things about both. So we both saw Ready or Not mm-hmm. in the theater. Where, where did you go to see it? Uh, some... <sighs> I don't even John want to how discuss. the fuck do you live in Austin and you don't go to Alamo Draft House? I don't want to go into it because John Okay, I'm going to go into it. Timothy Mark Menade, that's not your name. <laughs> Mark Menade. I want to go into it. So we want How do you to, not fucking go to Okay. We we want we we wanted to go see Ready or not? There were no showings at Alamo Draft Houses that day cuz we like to buy tickets same day cuz we're idiots. And we do that too. Uh but there were no acceptable seats. However, yeah, we ran into that. We wanted to check out a new place that a person I work with highly recommended called uh, Flicks Brew House in Round Rock, in Round Rock. We went there, the seats seemed great. They were all the way in the back in a very small theater right in the middle. Uh turns out they were in the aisle. which sucked. We didn't have the little table. Oh. Uh you know what Flicks Brew House does? What do they do? Suck. Flicks Brew House sucks because it's fake Alamo Draft House. Yeah. They they do everything that Alamo Draft House fucking does, but super fake. I do have respect for them though, because they had their dumb little Uh don't talk during the movie. Once again, ripping off an Alamo Draft House. Yeah. But that I uh, don't talk during the movie, and it was like it themed. Okay. And the person was like Hectored by a person in a clown outfit. However, on the last straw when they were like texting, the Phone was slapped out of their hand, and clown hands came into frame and started strangling them to to death, which goes a bit farther than Alamo Drafthouse, <laughs> yeah. by saying, don't talk or text in the movie, or we'll fucking kill you. That's okay. So what Alamo Drafthouse is, because they played a generic horror movie message before Ready or Not, and it was like, don't text, don't talk, or you'll get, like, and they showed someone gets, like, macheted in the face. Yeah. I don't know what movie it was, but it was, uh, look, look, Alamo Draft House can do no wrong. I love them, even though they're, Al- uh, they're they're a multi-million corporation and they should not be loved. So, uh, they're okay. But the the people who put together, like, the pre-roll things for Alamo Draft House, Birth Movies Death. Oh, Good yeah. organization. Dude, Mondo? We've gone yeah. to many of their events. We love them. Uh, but... I'd work for them in a heartbeat. I'm sure that what they put together before Ready or Not in Alamo Draft House was very nice. All they did for we, Ready or Not in yeah. this one was they just showed clips from Clue and then movies where people were shot with crossbows. And oh. then someone, like, got a script for Ready or Not and they're like, okay, it's kind of in a mansion and also yeah. people are killed with crossbows. Let's make it happen. I'll be honest, we missed the pre-roll. We walked in and, and uh, sat down, ordered in, like, the... Uh, The, the, what are they called? The previews started. So we we missed the pre roll. I think we saw maybe one or two old fashioned um, advertisements for video game, not video games, board games. But other than that, uh, it it was a Thursday night and we we had to go as soon as Jamie got home from work. Yeah. And she worked pretty late. Uh, My point is. We both. Oh, so you you didn't, your previews. Yeah. Did you see a preview for Jojo Rabbit before Ready no. or Not? Okay, never mind. We did not see a preview well, then, for Jojo Rabbit. So I can't... This is not going to be a commonality thing. This is going to be just a me thing. We saw... Jamie and I, my wife, my, my wife, who I love, saw, saw a preview for Jojo Rabbit. Uh-huh. The... the Taika Waititi. The Taika Waititi... imaginary Hitler Ima- comedy that endorses white supremacy. Imaginary Hitler comedy. Uh-huh. I want to stress... He's the imaginary friend of Jojo. Yes. We both saw that trailer in its entirety. And my wife, without any prompting, turned to me and said, We're going to see that. Yeah. Because it looks, quote, adorable. Yeah. You can't have a... Taika Waititi has pulled an amazing magic trick in that he made a movie with Hitler seem charming. (laughs) And here's the thing. I don't know if this was... Look, this is a weird thing to read into. He directs it and he also stars as Hitler. I don't know if that's like a like well you don't really do a casting call for Hitler cuz nobody I I know nobody, exactly nobody what nobody wants, wants to do it or or it was Taika Waititi's goal and dream to play <laughs> Hitler in a movie. I don't want to you you know exactly what it is. I don't know exactly what it is, but I do feel like it's the third option. I do honest Taika Waititi as we know From interviews and stories about him, he is a real stand-up guy who cares about the people he works with. I think Taika Waititi wanted to write this movie, and he knew that an imaginary Hitler would be part of it. And he's like, there's no one who can be this but me. Yeah. Because... I can't put an actor in a position where if this movie does poorly or they have something that goes against them in the future people can reference back to the time they played imaginary Hitler. He's like, if this movie's bad and it doesn't land it all falls on me. Yeah. So, so the third option is I will bite the bullet. Yeah. I will be the Hitler. Yeah. I think that's Literally. absolutely what it is. I will say I whispered back to my wife in the middle of a different preview that I don't remember. He said, I love I, no, I said it, it's like, it's a Wes Anderson movie if Wes Anderson had a spine. That's fair. Not to besmirch or insult Wes Anderson. I think he lives and does a really good job in his own, in his own world. Yeah. But none of his movies ever really make a statement politically. Yeah, he makes exceptionally safe anodyne movies. He, yeah, he makes art. Art that is art for art's sake. Art doesn't comment on the world. Art that lives in its own realm. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine and good. I feel like this is like from Taiko Waititi is like I want to make a Wes Anderson film about Hitler. Yeah, I honestly think that's that's sort of the 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 brain egg the the impetus of that movie. And I'm I'm hundred percent here for it. I, I will watch it. I'm very excited for Jojo Rabbit. Primarily because when Thor Ragnarok came out, have you ever seen the Search for the Wilder People? That is his other movie that I have not seen. Have you ever ever seen Boy? No. So Boy and the Search for the Wilder People. I I will say right now, right now, right now, right now. now, I will say, I've seen right now, and a new a New Zealand accent. I've never seen. A Taika Waititi piece before Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> it was really actually New Zealand before it turned into Just, before it turned into John Lennon. Oh well, um, whatever, fuck it. But no, uh, Boy and Wilder people, very good movies. Boy is exceptionally good. And when Thor Ragnarok came out, like I guarantee you, when Taika Waititi makes a new movie, it's going to be more in line with what he does, which is like fairly small scale. Hyper, heartfelt, really funny, deeply sad movies. Yeah. And it's going to get a huge response, which he deserves. Taika Waititi has always been so good, and I'm so glad they made Thor Ragnarok, which means his movies are going to make numbers now. Yeah. I, I mean, like, he, he took the ultimate risk. He had no idea Thor Ragnarok was going to be success. He even wrote, like, he interviewed, and he said he thought Thor not Ragnarok was going to be the end of his career. Yeah. Because no way does he do a Marvel movie, does exactly, doesn't, like you said, doesn't read any comic books, doesn't even fucking, like, respect whatever fucking lore is present. He just does what he wants to do, the yeah. way he wants to do it, and it becomes a commercial success. That that doesn't happen to artists. Yeah. I I want to say we're in a weird time. Not a weird time, but, like... I want to say it's like 17 years before things become funny. Britain has made fun of Hitler. Yeah. There's a sitcom called Guess Who's Back where Hitler is the star of a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And like the joke of the sitcom is the new neighbors are Jewish. We're already sort of at the point where we're making fun of Hitler. Why can't we have a heartfelt and wholesome... Weird bildens romans, weird coming-of-age story where Hitler is an integral part. I've seen the trailer. I know the basic plot. This Jojo Rabbit character, this is in the trailer so I, I don't think it counts as spoilers. His mother, who is a lovely woman, who, who is Scarlett Johansson, takes in a young Jewish girl. Uh-huh. And he has to reconcile the fact that he is part of the uh the youth Hitler Youth. Mm-hmm. And that there's a young Jewish girl in his house. Does it take place during, like, Hitler Youth World War II, or is his family just neo-Nazis? It is absolutely during World War II. Okay. It is 100% at the height of World War II. Okay. That's, why she take, that's why the mother, Scarlett Johansson, takes a, a young Jewish girl for hiding. And that is why he is in the, absolutely, not the Boy Scouts, he is in 100% the Hitler Youth. It is a period piece filtered through a modern lens. I will say, if his other movies are anything to go by, uh, you will you will cry at this movie. He makes very he makes deceptively what? heartfelt movies. Also, I want to say that Taiko Waititi did not follow his own advice because in Boy, essentially the plot of Boy is that there is this uh, this islander kid who does not know who his father is. And his father eventually shows back up and he's like a real piece of shit kind of fake biker guy played by Taika Waititi. And Taika Waititi... So there's a room in this house that used to belong to his father that the, the kid, like lives in and worships and idolizes because he he loves the idea of his father and then when his father shows up, even though he's like this shitty dude with shitty friends, he still like thinks he's the coolest guy on earth. He slides all the pictures aside, Taika Waititi's character, the shitty dad, and there's a little swastika under one of the pictures. And he said, we were all young once, stay away from that Nazi stuff. <laughs> and he did not take his own advice. That's hilarious. He did not take his own advice. I can do nothing but applaud an artist who finds commercial success in a mainstream project. He took Thor Ragnarok, one, because it paid, Mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, You can't dispute that. And he brought his own flavor to it. But now it's like, hey, I made commercial success with Thor Ragnarok. He didn't launch into Give Me Another Franchise. He launched into... One, I want to make fucking Akira. Yes. And then two, let's make this, I've got, I've got this story I've been sitting on for a thousand <laughs> it's years. A, it's amazing the, the cultural cachet that doing a Marvel movie will get you because you're like, okay, I made a Marvel movie, here's my next two projects. Number one, Akira. Number two, Imaginary Hitler. <laughs> Well, the other big director that I can point to because it's in my head is Jon Favreau, who made Iron Man 1 and 2, launched the entire MCU. Then he made Chef. And then. Wait, Chef came after? I thought Chef was before. I feel like Chef came after Iron Man. Oh, whatever. But then he went into the, the super safe route, and this is not to insult him. He's going to make his money. He's going to make his bread, I understand. He went into the live G- GCI heavy, live. Action remakes of Disney movies. Uh-huh. And I know that's not his passion. Maybe it is. Well, if, if that was his passion, he would have he would not have made the Chef Netflix TV show where he basically does Chef with celebrity guests. That's like having a passion for Thomas Kinkade paintings. So you're saying that's so sort of like hobbyist that it doesn't really No, I'm just saying like do it if your passion is remaking Disney movies shot for shot in CGI. Uh, That's what I'm saying. That's his security net. Mm -hmm. And Taika Waititi could have absolutely have done that. He had the option to be like, give me the next Mission Impossible or whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck is the next franchise thing. And he would have put his own spin on it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he's like, no, fuck you. Fuck you, Hollywood. Here's a Hitler movie. And also I turned a movie into a TV show. I yeah. turned What We Do in the Shadows into an FX show. And uh, thank you to Matthew Barry. You've got work in America. Yeah. It's very good. Matthew Barry, by the way, for those who don't know, is a very brilliant, uh, comedic British actor who I think deserves a lot more work. I love him. He's like the British Jack Black. I would recommend that you and... Uh, I'd say the British Jack Black is Bill Bailey. Uh, oh, Bill uh, Bailey! Oh, Bill Bailey is absolutely Bill Bailey is hilarious, fan. yes. this is, What I mean is to say... Bill Bailey is the British Jack Black in a stand-up comedy okay. black book standpoint. Yeah. Matthew Barry is like the tenacious D. Okay. Sort of like star Jack. Jack Black, I think we're we're finding out, will be contains multitudes. Yeah, he is large. He is large. <laughs> That's not what we meant. <laughs> uh, he is large, he contains multitudes. Uh, but no. Taika Waititi once again receiving the zero credits seal of approval for uh, what's it called Hitler Hitler Boy <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. There we go. Also, good name. Jojo, it's a very good name for, a, for one for a character, two for a movie. Good name. One for a character, two for a movie. You should watch Boy and Wilder People. If you're isn't it Hunt for the Wilder People, Hunt for the Wilder People, Search for the. I don't remember. Search for the Wilder people. I much preferred boy. What I'm going to say is if you're going to name your movie after your lead character's name, make the lead character's name fucking interesting. Yeah. Which is why. I'm looking at you, fucking Jane Eyre. Which is why his name is Thor Ragnarok. I'm looking at you, fucking. Jane Eyre. <laughs> So your Flicks Brewhouse is just really shitty. Let me tell you about it. Well, that's here's the biggest problem. That's bad news here's for big, my co-worker. Here's the biggest problem with Flicks Brewhouse. This is where it all went wrong. What happened, my friend? This is... Now, you can you can fake an Alamo Draft House, and that's fine. It's an uh, inexcusable sin. But... If you're gonna fake an Alamo Drafthouse, at the very least, make your servers act the same way they do at Alamo Drafthouse. Alamo Drafthouse is set up in a very specific way, which is there's never an aisle in the middle, and there is an exit on either side of a row, so they can roadie run through. Right? Yeah, they duck down. They roadie run, and and it's a roadie run. They move silently, quickly, low. They you don't see them when you're, you're tele- watching a movie. People at House act like servers at a goddamn Chili's. They just walk around and during the movie, they speak at full fucking volume. Are you fucking kidding me? Making small talk with people to get their orders. It is the most infuri- Someone was just having extended small talk with some table where they were ordering beer. I'm like, "It's it's ludicrous. We were sitting in basically the aisle, but, which sucked. It was uh, the, it was the back. But our server kept coming up. He's like, "You guys want anything like popcorn?" Lemon. I will tell you if we want anything. We got two Coke zeros, and we actually no, they only have Pepsi products. We got two, we got two diet <laughs> Doors, We got two diet Dr. Peppers and uh, nothing else. And we're like, "Listen, we'll tell you if we want anything else, okay?" Like, chill. Wait, they don't have, like, an order card system? They have an order card system, but still their servers just walk around. Oh, no, 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 no. Only if the fucking order card is up do you come by. I will say, uh Jamie and I, my, my dear wife, who I love, and I. the more I say that, the more it feels like I protest too much, but I just want to say, I love my wife. We went to, ready or not, in the smallest theater at the Lake Line Alamo. The smallest theater. So that's a like good one. Twi- I've been at every theater in the Lake Line <laughs> Alamo, and they're all good. What Tw- twenty seats? Yeah, max, and one server for the entire theater. You know what she did? You know the entrance where you walk in? Yeah, that's where she stayed. Yeah, until she- you see a card come up. And when she saw a card walk up, she waited a beat, a beat, and then she would walk over, look at the card, and then like w- we ordered two beers, sort of like seventy five percent into the movie, and she acts. Is that going to be all for you? You know, silently, you know, quietly. And you say, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 just the two beers. So, all right. And then she brought the two beers and the check. It's asinine. Because at Flick's Brewhouse, there is an order card system. You can raise cards. However, there are also Vigilante board game style buttons you press to summon. Oh, oh. oh like, but why are you getting summoned and you can raise a card? Yeah, that's weird. That's, so, have you ever... By chance, have you ever been to a uh, movie house and eatery on 620, Highway 620? Highway 620. That sounds a lot like Flick's brew house. It, it is. It's a more commercialized. It's, it's like a nationwide chain that did not start in Austin. But they have a system on your armrest at the very bottom. There's a button you push and lights up like an indicator on the side of your seat or whatever. And they walk over. And then you have to tell them. The order card system... Even though it's like, quote, archaic, 100% better. The order of system... Because it was, says exactly what you fucking want on it. You write g- goddamn what you want. It's perfect. Alamo Draft House is perfect because they give you just enough light where you can get down there and you're like, one Beyond Burger, n- no onions. I would never order no onions with fries, whatever. Oh, no plus, onions is for me, thank you. Plus, like, some popcorn. You rate literally what you want. It's fu- No, you never talk to anybody. It's... Flick's Brewhouse, I'm sure they're fine. And just to be totally clear, Ready or Not, probably one of my favorite movies I've seen all year. So I can't hate Flick's Brewhouse too much. But God, it was such a bummer. A brief statement about Ready or Not. You know I've been sort of wrestling with this weird (sighs) flippant death thing. Like I wouldn't watch The Boys because of how flippantly it treated death yes ready or not was a movie i was not prepared for i did not i looked into none of it mm-hmm. my wife said hey one i saw like a preview for it it looked like it was fun it looked like they weren't really into like the horrific ritual two our good friend john said it was funny it was and very great. funny i thought it was very so funny. let's go see it and like it's for, also horrifying yeah So that's a brief word, it's like, it's fun, but also, at the same time, a screaming voice in the small part of my head had to be silenced to be like, yeah, all these servants spoilers, all these servants that die, yeah, sure, that's... That's okay. But the... It serves a point in the story. Yeah, it, it serves a point in the story and in the theme. It's It's the... It's the fact that death is so normal, and I I respect the. But well, no- death is not treated as normal, because every time they find a new servant who's dead, they're like, but they're not, Fuck, that was they're my not, favorite. But they're not horrified. Yeah. They're not horrified, they yeah. treat it like an inconvenience. But the thing that I like about the movie, and I think that any movie with a lot of death should do this, is they show death as like a long, awful, embarrassing, grotesque thing that no one wants to look at. Which is... That's yeah, not I mean, glorifying death. It's not glorifying the killing. Yeah. Death when it happens in that movie is really gross and awful and it and it's the fact that death is like gruesome and awful and relatively realistic in that movie speaks to the fact that these people are sociopaths, psychopaths, for treating it like it's an inconvenience. I will say, without being complicit or specific, the 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 payoff I enjoyed very, very much. I, going into the ending of that movie, I was like, there were two possible outcomes, and there's no way that they can pull either of these off. But they did. They pulled it off perfectly. Yeah, they pulled one of them off really they, great. They, they pulled both of them off. Because the... the no, tw- no, 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 not the one that I thought you were talking about. But I'm saying the, the two payoffs, this is... Okay, the two payoffs are, nothing happens okay. or something happens. So, so and they did both. Yes. Okay, I see what you're saying, yeah. They gave... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put re- they they in the out. expectation that one was going to yeah. happen. Yeah, they, yeah. They figured out the most satisfying parts of both, and gave us both. I don't want to get too far into this, because we have another thing to cover before this episode ends. This, are you serious? This is a long one. But I don't want to get too far into this, but do you think it kind of went on a little, just like... One or two beats too long. What, the, like, final act? This is right before the final act. Like, whether she gets taken by the butler yeah, or Yeah, that part not. felt kind of unnecessary. Yeah, okay, so that, yeah. that was my one complaint. I feel like it could have been a much... I feel like it could have been a slightly shorter movie. In an economy of peaks and valleys, it had too many peaks yeah. and valleys. It, uh, it suffers something that is endemic to a... <laughs> Um, a huge amount of modern movies, which is a second act drag. Yeah, the second act was the second act was way too long. Second act had a lot of good stuff, but it did have a moment where it pretty seriously dragged out a conflict we didn't care about. When, when we look at horror movies as a whole, you want a long first act, a pretty sizable medium second act, and a very short third act. You can't have a long third act at all yeah. in a horror movie because. To linger on it is to dispel the first act. Yeah. Dispel the power of the thing that scared you in the first place. Yeah. But that's a topic for a different time. We need to we need to cover one more thing. This is really important, I think. Yes. And I want to talk about it. And I can't wait another week because in another week it will not be important. Uh-huh. And this is the fact that SNL, Saturday Night Live, a staple of our comedic cultural force whether for good or for bad i think they have some good episodes and they have a lot of bad skits yeah sketches i think snl is probably a not a i don't i don't think that snl a positive thing in comedy okay uh but that's anyway, a take I don't, I don't think that it is i think it launches a lot of good careers or it maybe in your perspective it hinders a lot of good talent i can't say Look, I'm just saying they hired someone who's really good. I'm kidding. I'm 100% kidding. Okay, here's the thing. So SNL announced three new people. Bo and Yang. The first East Asian person mm-hmm. to be hired on. He was a writer! Yeah, he was a writer for I SNL really, and he became a cast member. He's very, very funny. I really like the fact that a writer became an, an on-screen talent. Because, I mean, there's hope for all of us dumb, introverted writers. Yes. And then also... Chloe Feynman, who we... That feels really shitty that we didn't remember her name. Maybe it's a good thing because she wasn't in the fucking propaganda machine. The the only reason why we remember Bowen Yang's name is because he is East Asian. And uh, (laughs) Shane Gillis, the third hire, said uh, racial epithets against Asian people. Those, you know, they're the standouts. So here's the weird history of cancel culture. Uh... I want, I don't want to say it started with, with Roseanne Barr. Mm -hmm. Is that her name? Yeah. Oh, this is a bad moment for women comedians (laughs) because I can't fucking remember their names and that's not a testament to how good they are. That is a testament of how shitty of a person I am. I want to say it started with Roseanne Barr. She was on Ambien and that made her say bad things, Uh, allegedly. Culture started so much earlier than that. I know. Okay. Cult, cancer, when did it start in your, your remembrance of the I mean events. I think cancel culture extends pretty far back to trying to like deplatform people. But what I'm saying is and a potent force and a a thing that actually gets results. Yeah probably Roseanne is that's when it started to like impact culture. So let's oh. say oh, cancel God. culture came into fruition mm-hmm. with Roseanne Barr. Yes. Who rightly got canned from her own show yes. for very bad things that she said. And it doesn't matter what fucking mental state you're in. You just can't say shit like that. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so then people wanted to retaliate. So they deplatformed James Gunn, which didn't stick, by the way. Even though deplatforming platforming James Gunn, right-wing trolls did it. So, like, it's like an answer to cancel. The, uh, That's what I want to yeah, say. Like, yeah. it was a bad retaliation. Yes. It, there's a history here. Like... Oh, you took one of ours, so we want to take one of yours. Like, there's like. They send one of yours to the hospital, we send James Gunn to the morgue. If Ken Burns could do a documentary on this, he would be absolutely suited to covering the events with a gravitas I think it deserves, because this is the battle that's being fought right now. Mm -hmm. It's not with guns, it's with tweets. James (laughs) Gunn's. James Gunn Control, hashtag. James Gunn Control. So, like, so their retaliation was James Gunn. And that was the next thing that happened. And then like a lot of dumb meager attempts happened and nothing quite hit. And now in 2019 of this year of this month, Shane Gills Gillis Gillis mm-hmm. Shane Gillis was hired on to Saturday Night Live. And the same day that Shane Gillis was announced as being hired onto Saturday Night Live. Taught me off because I mean if you're gonna pour yourself some I gotta I gotta have some. This is a weird. That's good. The same day that Shane Gillis was hired, uh, some controversial statements were brought up from a podcast that he was on a year ago. Less if, than a year. Less than a year ago, where he used racial epitaphs and slurs. Yeah, literally I, using racial... literally like uh, no joke. It's it, not. It's not a joke it, that he used uh, literal yeah. racial epithets against Asian Americans. And, and the thing is, like a lot of the times, you got to say, "Oh, you got to look at the context." The context in this case, There's no context, was straight up racism. Yeah, he was just making fun of Chinatown. Also, I feel like we need to uh, give a little. Uh, we can't. We would be remiss if we didn't give a little bit of context on Shane Gillis. Uh, he's a relatively popular podcaster and comedian from Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, some city where life is cheap and people eat bricks and are racist. Uh, fuck him. I don't want to insult wholesale cities because I don't, I haven't looked into them. Enough. Fuck Shane Gillis and his city. Well, I, I want to say fuck him, but I yeah. don't. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, unapologetically, It was not in the context of a joke. It was not in the context of a funny situation. He was straight up saying, paraphrasing me, I hate Chinatown because it is too Chinese. Yes. Which is a fucking ridiculous statement. That's like saying, I hate Italy because of the Italians. Like, what the fuck do you expect? But he also just used racial Yes. His his behavior was uh, top to bottom racist and unforgivable. I don't understand how, in 2018, when this happened, you could feel comfortable enough. And this is might just might be because I live in my own bubble of self insecurity, of depression, and and self loathing. I would never feel confident enough. To say a statement that equates to the paraphrase of Chinatown is too Chinese. But you would also never feel comfortable enough to say that because you are um probably like on the north side of being a good person. Whereas Shane Gillis, someone who would uh commit racial epithets to public record, is uh by the basis definition a bad person. And, and like, here's the weird thing about what's going on right now is... Yes... He was a fucking fuckhead. He was a shithead. He should absolutely have not been allowed on SNL. And to SNL's credit, for the establishment of mainstream comedy that it is, it likes to do a middle road a lot of the times, Mm -hmm. it absolutely fired him. Yes. Because it should have. But a weird thing right now about... Comedians who get "quote" canceled is that they get a weird resurgence, and like, and I don't want to name drop, but like Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and this weird right swinging media circuit where they get a weird amount of popularity that lends to their marketability. Yeah, and or sh- even like Dave Chappelle. Okay. I, I I don't know enough to, to comment to comedy. If on that. comedy is anything to go by, someone saying something that's reprehensible will probably give them a medium to long term uh popularity boost. He benefits from this probably. Uh but also SNL's vetting process is garbage that they let this garbage well, person through. Well, yeah, I mean SNL looks at one I know a little bit the 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 absolute minute amount you can know about their vetting process. They look at it at a, a purely comedic standpoint. They look at what you do, what you present, what you audition. Mm-hmm. I don't think they look too much in what you did before you signed up to, to audition to SNL. I don't want to besmirch Lorne Michaels. I think he is a staple to that sort of mainstream comedy. Yeah. I don't want to besmirch anyone he's put forth. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Hader is absolutely my favorite comedian ever. Uh-huh. John Mulaney is my absolute favorite comedian ever. Kate McKinnon. Very good. Chris Kirsten, Kristen? Kirsten? Wig? Mm-hmm. I can't remember that name because my sister's name is Kristen and I confused it, too. Kristen Wig. They're all good. Tina Fey. I don't want to smirch, smirch any of these people and, like, saying that Lauren Michaels should absolutely have caught this and him allowing it to go through and announcing that Shane Gibble's... Uh huh. Was a, a a cast member like? It's a weird thing where you can't se- separate art art from artist. I don't want to separate the good that Lorne Michaels has done from the bad that he is. This one instance that he's allowed to happen. Yes. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just want to protect Lauren Michaels. There's, uh, I don't know that you should fight so hard to protect Lauren Michaels. However, there's two camps about Shane Gillis, and I feel like there's two conversations happening right now. And the two camps are as follows Number one, should he have been fired? Number two, should he be forgiven? And uh, my stance on should he have been fired? Fucking absolutely, absolutely. He, he said a racial slur. Yeah. people have been fired for wearing shorts. And this fuck, is fuck this guy. This isn't like ten fucking years he ago. Made, he made. This was last year. The thing with Shane Gillis is that he he does this thing unapologetically. That he does this thing that every comedian does, where he did like a notes app non apology. They posted to his Twitter. I, I and, have it. I have a screenshot of it. And one of the things he said was, I'm a comedian who was funny enough to get hired by SNL and no one could take yeah. that away from me. Yeah. G- yeah. G- g- yeah. 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 Fuck that dude. The answer is, uh, just did. Just took it away from you. Not actually hired by SNL. I don't know. Didn't, to, didn't yeah. appear in an episode, my dude. I don't know uh, how to look you, at my screenshots. You absolutely did not get hired on SNL. Fuck that dude. Uh, but also, should he be forgiven? Sure. Should he? I mean, eventually. I feel like everyone deserves- 20 years. I don't feel like there's a statute of limitations on okay. this ship, but I feel like everyone has a window of forgiveness. Everyone has some ability to be rehabilitated. I think that he's a bad person who said a racial epithet on a podcast and people should address that accordingly. So, like, but also I don't think that we are ever in a position as a people to say whether or not someone can be, should be, or will be forgiven because it's up to time and distance to dole out forgiveness and enough of either will forgive. Well, and actions. Like, if he continues to be a shithead... You don't forgive him, obviously. Yeah, but also not necessarily. If there's enough time and distance from his career that people forget about it, he'll essentially be forgiven, even if he doesn't change his behavior. Well, I don't know. Are you you positing, hypothetically, that there is an instance of the future where we we forgive Bill Cosby? I think he'll be dead before then. Uh, But also, the thing about Bill Cosby is uh, it all depends on the time and the distance. And I don't think any amount of time and distance would totally exonerate him. But look at people like Woody Allen. Oh, fuck him. Woody Allen remains uncancelled, largely forgiven for his transgressions. Also, he hasn't made a good movie in 20 years. But people are, like, consistently, like, forgiving him and defending him. Like... I don't know. Time and distance count for a lot. Scarlett Johansson cut a lot of shit for trying to defend him in 2019, like, two weeks ago. Yeah. She caught a lot of shit for it. People want to cancel her. But you can't go up to someone in the street and be like, Woody Allen. They're like, eh, Annie Hall was okay. That's the one movie he's got. Midnight in Paris? No. But Midnight in Paris was good. Midnight. Adrian Brody is, uh Salvador Dali? Look. Okay, well, I will say the composition might be well done, but the concept of... Uh, a, a writer finds himself in Paris and he talks to all the good writers. I That's mean, a fucking practice and masturbatory aid. I mean, Midnight in Paris is the favorite movie of everyone who's, uh... Never seen it. Midnight in Paris is the favorite movie of everyone in their undergrad who's a liberal arts major and also a dude. Fuck. And also was my roommate. Oh, uh, well, look, to your cre- to your roommate's credit, and I will say this unapologetically... He has bad fucking taste in movies. He he does. Uh, anyway, yes. What I want to say about Shane Gibelman, fuck him. Uh, no. I mean, no. Fuck him. Fuck him. If you go on record, the the he, he had John. He had two chances to apologize and he didn't. Yeah, he did two non-apologies. My problem with uh, my problem with Sean Giles is that consistently. The debate has been, should he have been fired? But Absolutely. What are things in the past you could have been fired for? Well, I mean... Not I s- saying, uh, huckin' cluckin', what is your chicken, to a customer or whatever. Not trying to, like, sell... In, in my job, being slightly rude to someone <laughs> could get you fired. Or not agreeing with an executive could get you fired. I mean, if you want to be... Saying a literal racial epithet on record? Fired. Yes. The, the fact that people are, like, trying to debate whether or not he can be fired. Like, comedy is something that is, like, ephemeral and immune to critique and common sense is insane. If you say a racial epithet on record, regardless of time, probably fire that person. I want to say something about comedy in 2019. There's There, there are two camps. You say what's funny, what is funny, and this other weird camp of... Oh, I'm sorry your audience was too politically correct. Sorry you were triggered. Yeah, yeah. There's this weird camp of like... Well, you can't please everyone. Uh, Sorry your audience wasn't receptive. Yeah. Which is bullshit. That's just lazy comics. Well, here's the thing. And I don't want to objectively comment on this one comedian's career... But Rob Schneider, Mm -hmm. a former SNL alum, sent out this tweet. That is not the tweet. What the fuck? Where's the tweet? God damn it. Where's the tweet? Um, there it is. He sent out this tweet. Dear Mm ShamanimGimanim, as a former SNL cast member, I am sorry that you had the misfortune of being a cast member during this era of cultural unforgiveness, where comedic misfires are subject to the intolerable intolerable inquisition of those who never risked bombing on stage themselves. This Real, is, just fantastic. This is praise from Caesar. Wait, no, hold on. It's not praise from Caesar. It's praise from the star of... The animal? Hold on, wait. It's praise from the star of Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Well, here's the thing. It totally misinterprets the situation. It's saying, look at all these bystanders trying to be armchair quarterbacks. Look at all these backseat drivers trying to comment on your attempt to be funny. It completely misses the point. You were racist. Yeah, You were offensive to a group of people. You were trying to use that racism to be funny. This is so infinitely more harmful than any Joker movie could be. Yeah. Is, Is the presumption of innocence... For people who are vile, because, and in the mind of, clearly, Rob Schneider, in the mind of Shane Gillis, in the mind of everyone who's saying that this dude shouldn't have been fired, the primary enemy is those who practice political correctness. And political correctness, is it's a ridiculous scapegoat for uh, addressing the societal needs of society today. Yeah. Uh, it's being accepting and, and largely progressive, though there's toxic parts of like cancel culture and deplatforming that I don't want to go into. But it's the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy above racism and xenophobia is uh, the liberal elite with their political correctness. And that it, it speaks to the underlying ethos of these people is that the thing that they consider from their very safe positions to be the most dangerous thing on the planet is people who can take them down for being vile. They're like, oh, these people are so protective of their ideas. I'm pretty sure that most of the people who are in a position to say that uh, haven't been meaningfully oppressed or acted upon by a system that otherizes them. Like, Rob Schneider, I don't think, has ever been, like, attacked... other than, uh, critically for his, uh... His art. Work. Yeah, his yeah. art. I mean, here's the thing I want to say about comedy. For every com- com- comedian who fails to be funny because of political rec- correctness there are at least five comedians who succeed without offending anyone. And I can name at least a handful. John Mulaney, Bill Hader, Jim Gaffigan, and Bill Burr. Bill Burr, who is like 100% 100% not on the PC boat. I feel like Bill Burr might have come out on the shitty side of the Shane Gillis thing. What? Like, uh, Bill Burr is one of those people who tow the line between the two camps. Like, he yeah. is 100% I will not twinkle toe my way around your, your insecurities. But he's also... But at the same time, he's on the right side of certain events. He's like, we should vet some of these cancel culture things. Like. Yeah. Bill Burr is, he's magical because he he is someone who could very easily, Adam Carolla-like, have a straight-to-DVD comedy special called, like, Triggered. Yeah. Uh, but he, typically speaking, is just kind of a smart guy about it. Well, he, he is the absolute middle-of-the-road guy between these two camps who's like, I'm gonna say what the fuck I want, but at the same time, I'm not gonna be offensive about it because I'm not, I present as a dick. But I'm not a dick. Here's something, I'm just real. Here's something that I'll share. There have been times. I practice an ancient uh, arcane art like uh, Alan Moore's Shadow Magic uh, called improv comedy. Oh. Uh, I don't know if and you also should... like some stand-up. I don't know if you should drag Alan Moore into your, your improv comedy. But I'm just saying there have been... Innumerable times, and this is speaking to pure like lizard brain comedy stuff. Thousands of times where I've been in a situation where I'm like, maybe I could say a racial slur here, and you know what? I have a 100% hit rate for not doing that. It's not hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, there, look. When you average comedy, at the end of the day, the thing that we have to say about society is is that it is not that hard to not be racist. Yeah. From a struggling comedian standpoint, if you would average the viewpoints that you're presenting to, you could absolutely easily, if you wanted to, go, quote, that route. Yes. You could pander to a certain demographic that will absolutely uplift you. And the majority of people would decry you yes. but so many established comedians don't go that route and that should say something yeah it's it's almost it's like there's a there are a thousand people running a marathon while of the hardest things you can do and uh, people like Shane Gillis and Rob Schneider have like left the road and they're like out in brambles and dirt and shit. And they're, like, writhing around on the ground. and like, no one can blame me for this. That's like, you could have just, like, stayed on the road. Yeah. Thousands of people are doing it. It's the easiest thing you could have done. Like, you went out of your way to do this to yourself, Shane Gillis. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You can create a persona and, and keep propagating it. Dimitri Martin comes to mind. He has a thing. And he doesn't. It's one-liners, it's sketches, it's guitar work. That's what he does. That's what he cultivates. And he could easily fall into the trap. He could be sketches, guitars, racism. Yeah, he could do that! But he doesn't. And Jim Gaffigan, he's family. He's food. He's fat jokes. He's self-deprecation. He could easily go into political. But he doesn't for a reason. Yeah, it's not hard. I I think one of the takeaways from 2019, this is a line I see repeated a lot on Twitter, a lot in sort of the cultural popular joke set, the absolute phrase, it's not hard. Because it is not difficult to avoid these pratfalls. Yeah. It's not difficult to not be racist. All you have to do is not fucking be racist. Yeah. It's uh it's it's not a tricky gatekeeper, it really isn't. And this is a weird self pat on the back thing. We have done a hundred and fifty goddamn episodes where we talk out of our stupid, fucking straight white male asses for hours at a time. And only certain times have we only told, like twice. Only like twice have we told the line of being absolutely goddamn offensive. But you know what? Thankfully, those were edited out. Shane Gillis can't say the same thing. And if I mean that—that's the risk of being a guest on someone else's show. You don't have less less rights. You don't have. It was a guest. It's his podcast. It was his podcast. Absolutely. Fuck him. Wait, no, no, no. I didn't know this. No, it, was it was his podcast. It was his podcast. He wasn't a guest on his podcast? I think it was just his podcast. Are you sure? I'm not sure, but fuck that guy. Would you testify on a book of your choosing under oath in the court of law? What, that was his podcast? Would you swear on the zen of motorcycle... What is it called? The zen, zen? and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Would you swear on that, that particular tome uh-huh. that it was his podcast? Sure. Under threat of perjury... Yeah, fuck this guy. So, th- so then, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. There's no room for forgiveness within the next ten years. Fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are hundreds. And I'm sorry, I'm keeping you so late. There are hundreds of comedians who deserve to be uplifted, and he is not one of them. No, he needs to be uh, downvoted. For every Shane Gillis, there is another comedian who deserves A Chloe to- Feynman. She's already being uplifted. I'm saying there are unappreciated comedians who deserve to be uplifted. I want to say one. She's been on Conan a few times. I think her name is Taylor? I have no idea. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm going to find her. I want to uplift her. She doesn't need it, but shut up. For every Shane Gabigaman there is a Taylor... Tomlinson, who deserves to be uplifted. Taylor Tomlinson. Look her up. She's very hilarious. She's been on Conan. I want to say three times. She's hilarious. Replace everyone on SNL with women. Uh, okay. Final thoughts. There is a. We- there was in the past three weeks. There was a weird British fuckhead who's like who said women can't be funny. They're only funny when they emulate men. Is this Piers Morgan? Oh no. If it was that name, I would have remembered it. Okay. Because I, I learned of him during the Alex Morgan World Cup. Great times that yes. we lived through in 2019 that have sadly died and gone to rest. Yes. Now the uh, the biggest national sport uh, outside of football, football, which is SNL. <laughs> Almost hired a racist. So what a shame. All I want to say is, if you think women can't be funny... You're the problem. If you think women can't be funny, you're fired. Yeah, you're the fucking fired of the nation. Uh, Britain is like a bad version of us. If you think humor is somehow only relegated to half of the population, look at your values, really do some introspection. I think you've got some problems that you need to work through. Because humor isn't a goddamn gendered subject, you fuckhead. You should, at the end of the day, consult any trusted counsel and then get fucking canceled. I what? I'm turning the corner. Hold on. Zero credits is now a cancel podcast. We want to cancel. cancel cultures. Cancel you fucking fuckheads. Cancel cultures. Good. Let's cancel them. I mean, we broke. We both got our start. I got rum. canceling. People. I got rum all over my face. We both got our start in comedy from a, a group that absolutely 100% should have been canceled. C- no. Celebrated the fact that 50% or more of our casts were women. Yeah. Like, we absolutely were like, yeah, what? There's no problem. The funny thing about you see jokes and like from The Onion or from Clickhole about like the popular mindset about improv groups is it's like five guys and one woman. We absolutely were not brought up in that world. We were brought up in the world of, weirdly enough, eight guys and eight women because we didn't know how to limit a, 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 an improv troupe. I mean, if uh, all else being equal, uh, the fairest distribution of male comedians to female comedians is roughly 50-50. And that should be the way it is. Yeah, I, I mean... Sorry... Rob Schneider. If you don't think Jenny Slate and others are funny, if you don't think Whitney Cummings is funny, I don't wanna to talk to you. If you don't think women can be funny, I don't wanna give you the time of day. It's also worth knowing that SNL should probably work more on uh on representation, but whatever. What Cecily Strong, uh Kate McKinnon, yeah. Bow and Yang. What, what sucks is that Leslie Jones was just let go. Supermarket Sweets, baby. Well, yeah. She was just let go, and I don't think that I can't name off the top of my head, like, if they have a black woman cast member. I've not seen an episode in Essendon so long, so I could not be able to tell you. And to be between you and me, don't let the fans know this. I've only watched. The John Mulaney episodes of SNL. Because, no lie, he is my idol. Wow, you only watched the episode that had a straight, white, male puppet boy? Would you call him a puppet boy? He's not a real person. He's a marionette. John Mulaney is my favorite. He's a marionette. Look, this is hurting me, what you're saying right now. No, he's great. I just love Nick Kroll. There's a reason why I always joke about John Mulaney being on the show. Because one day, I hope in season... To be him. In season 10... Okay. <laughs> from, like, a, you're my therapist level, absolutely yes. But from a more realistic level, episode season 11, he will be a guest on her show. So if we're talking deep into the future, the people that I want to be on the podcast, do you know who I want? Yeah. Hitler. Uh, No, when you say Hitler, do you mean like a resurrected zombie Hitler or do you mean Taika Waititi's depiction of Hitler in like a weird bit kind of interview? I just want Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi is the person I want to be because he doesn't do stand-up or perform, but he still has great creative output and wears pineapple shirts. I mean, he's a director. Yeah, that's what I want. being a director, no lie, is like 100% times harder than being a stand-up comedian. Oh yeah, being a stand-up comedian or an improviser, very easy. Uh, Well, improviser more so than stand-up comedian. It's the only art form that requires no preparation. Ah, finger finger guns. Finger guns. My speech impediment came out in a weird way. Do we feel like this has been a long enough two-hour episode? Do you want to fight me uh, right now on the Do podcast? you want to fight me IRL? IRL? Do you want to fight me IRL? In this the realm of the living. <laughs> Since we are bordering on real-time, real-time, 11 p.m. Yes. Central time. And, and you some have... of us have to wake up at 6 a.m. I'm sorry. High High five? five. High five. We high five. For the record. Put that on record. It's time to end this episode. I just wanted 150 to be a little special, a little bit longer. It's very special. Also, we we talked about racism. We talked about the Joker. We talked about ourselves. Also, we got to make up for lost time, you know? Well, I feel bad about saying that. Never mind. It's time for the social media plugs of the week. My throat hurts, but I have to do them. It's my duty. It's my honor. It's my American Sniper moment. What's that other... Sh- Jeremy Reiner. Jeremy no. Renner? Renner? Hurt Locker. That was a good one. I don't want to talk about it. It was good. Look, if we said any goddamn thing, you're just drinking... Oh, holy shit, I bought that today! Yeah. <laughs> Fuck! Okay, we went through whole entire bottle of rum. If you want to get in touch with us about anything we said during this podcast, absolutely reach out at twitter.com. You can reach us at Z-C-P-C-W-H-J at twitter.com. And I believe my correspondent, my lovely co-host, my partner in crime, John, he knows what that stands for. What is it? Uh, I think it stands for Jesus Christ with... Wait, Jesus? <laughs> wait piece it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, people can't withhold horny Jesus. And horny Jesus is a problem that I think. Oh, I'm sorry, thorny Jesus. Thorny Jesus is a problem that I feel like. You know none of the democratic Democratic opponents are addressing so if you want to send us a diatribe, give us a whole manifesto in an email format send us an email at zerocredits is a podcast at gmail.com We will read your message word for word on air That is a promise in an episode where we said no promises but we will do it because we are. Hashtag desperate for attention. And uh, look, 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 we're on Spotify. Search for us on the podcast section of Spotify at zero credits, open the S, close parenthesis, and you'll find us on Spotify. All 150 plus episodes of what we've done are on there. Uh, we are on Facebook. You can search for Zero Credits Podcast on the, on the Facebook search bar. Just know that our Twitter is more active, to be honest, between the two of us, between you and me, fams, our Facebook profile, stupid, shitty page right now only exists to post the most recent episode because Facebook pages, honestly, between you and I, fams, are only for local businesses, and we are not a goddamn local fucking business. It keeps telling me to put my goddamn cell phone number on it. Fuck that. We are on iTunes, which is now Apple Podcast. Search for us for on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating and a review because that is the best way we can grow this stupid organization that we are. Do that and we will give you a million dollars of friendship credit. Very good. No promises. And lastly, but not leastly, we only survive by your words out of your mouth. If you can tell a business partner, a friend, an enemy, a pirate, a homeless person with an iPhone, if you could tell some sort of less offensive person that we exist, that we are zero credits, that we are a podcast, that we have... A stupid layman message to get out there that there's no reason to listen to us, but you should listen to us anyway. That's another tagline. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. This is our 150F episode. I don't know what I'm trying to say. And from everyone here. No, I'm not done. Shut up. I'm done. And from everyone here at the Zero Credits two-bedroom, two-bathroom, not studio, studio, we would like to say... So we went to Chinatown last weekend. Let me tell you what... No, you, okay. no. I we went to Chinatown? No. I went to this restaurant? Shut up, Chinatown. Stop it! Goodbye! Goodbye, happy 150 episodes. My name's Henry. <laughs> My name's Josh. You can put our quotes anywhere in this episode, out of context, and we'll be fine. Oh, you played the Joker earlier. I don't know if you would be fine with being quoted as John. No, don't... uh, That wasn't me playing the Joker. That was the Joker. Oh, I don't know. The curtain is sort of, like, halfway lifted? No, the curtain is opaque. They could see, like, your waist down. And that was the Joker's dick! The dick you saw was the Joker's dick. Bye!